welcome to Build Momentum, where we make PR easy for education organizations. We're so glad you're joining us today. We couldn't be more excited to dive in and help education organizations achieve bigger results with PR. In this podcast, our goal is to make PR easy for nonprofits, startups, research institutes, and schools. You can count on learning how to develop simple, replicable PR strategies and how to execute on those strategies. I'm your host, Sarah Williamson, and I've spent the past 15 years working in public relations where I've been able to understand what works and what doesn't when it comes to PR and how to land results that build your credibility. I will share my tips for success and interview others who have done the same to provide you with a PR framework that you can use within your own organizations. If you're looking to increase brand awareness, to enhance your profile and stand out from the crowd, and you want to learn simple, actionable strategies to do it, you're in the right place. If you haven't already, be sure to check out my latest free guide, how to write a killer case study, even if you don't have data. You can find it at casestudy.swpr-group.com. That's casestudy.swpr.com swpr-group.com. And on today's episode, we have an opportunity to chat with Dr. Stacy Hawthorne. As the director of online learning, Stacy has led the design of Davidson Academy online programs. She was awarded a 2018 Blackboard Catalyst Award in the teaching and learning category for the unique and personalized model of an online education used at the Davidson Academy. And as the founder of Hawthorne Education, Stacy has extensive experience as an educational strategist, having implemented blended and online learning programs programs in public, parochial, and independent schools in California, Illinois, New Jersey, Texas, Nevada, Ohio, Virginia, and Georgia, to name a few. Two of the school districts where she's worked are members of the Digital Promise League of Innovative Schools, and one district was profiled by the U.S. Department of Education as Future Ready. Stacy has researched and profiled dozens of highly successful blended programs across the United States, and she also has several years of teaching experience, and it was that experience that led her to her role in partnering with schools across the United States to create authentic and engaging learning experiences for students. Wow, that's quite a bio, Stacy. It's so great to have you on the show with us today. So um, we, t- we talked about this before you joined me, but my audience is a group of nonprofit education or- organizations, ed tech startups, think tanks, and school leaders. Clearly, the main challenges they have right now are that they're struggling with is how to continue to navigate the pandemic as many schools are shifting back to remote learning if they were doing in-person learning before or hybrid learning. And ed tech companies are trying to stay nimble and flexible to support their fluctuating needs of the school districts. And nonprofits are trying to manage the double whammy of a pandemic and a recession to sustain their funding. Just to lay out a few problems for you there. What is your advice for these schools and education organizations over the next few months as we struggle to get through what we hope will be the last final rough months of this pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question, Sarah. So I have a motto that I live by in education, and I think it's really applicable to today and to this question. Um, And that motto is never let adult decisions get in the way of doing what is right for kids. So whether someone's in education as a teacher, an administrator, a vendor, you know, a think tank, um, education should always be first and foremost about the students. And this crisis has really helped to bring home that point. So I think as we go through these last couple of months, if we stop and ask ourselves every time we're trying to make a decision, is this the right thing to do for students? Um, and if the answer is yes, let's do it. And if the answer is no, then let's rethink where we're at and try to come up with a different solution. That's a very good barometer and something we should all continue to think about. Like having students as your North Star is a appreciate that. What do you believe have been some of the biggest lessons that we've learned from this crisis as it relates to 
communications and public relations for schools and education organizations, because that's what we really talk about on the show. What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, as the director of an online campus, I'm often telling folks that our communications is the foundation of everything that we do. We don't have a traditional foundation made of brick and mortar. Well, I mean, we do have a building um, that we can teach from in non-COVID times, but uh, even then, um, (laughs) it's the effectiveness of our communication that holds everything we do together as an online campus. Um, So I think that schools um, that have been forced into remote operations are really starting to see that the value of clear, coordinated, consistent, and compassionate communication. Oh, how about that? I just came up with four C's of communications. Um, wow. But, uh, the other thing I, I think that, that we've all, thanks. Um, I think the other thing that we've all had to learn is to be compassionate with our words. Um, rules, policies, and procedures may have been um, put into well-intentioned when they were originally designed, but if they don't take into account the human aspect of what we're all enduring right now, then do they really matter that much? Right. Make sure you're relating to people on a human level. That's so important. I mean, we're all struggling in some capacity. I mean, all of us. I don't I don't know anyone who's not suffering in some way. So acknowledging that first, I think, is is the best way to be able to reach people right now. Agreed. Yeah. Back to the topic of communication. Are there specific strategies that you think districts could implement that you've used yourself? in your online school or with your partners, thing, any sort of practical steps they could take in their communication? Yeah. So a couple of things that we do that I think are really important, um, you know, going back to communication being the foundation of what we do. Um, we do have a weekly newsletter that goes out. Um, I have adult children and, yeah, and when re- remembering back to when they were young, I didn't necessarily read every single piece of communication that came home from the school. I'm sorry to admit. Um, so just, you know, recognizing that, hey, just because we put it in our weekly newsletter doesn't mean that everybody's absorbed that information. Communication is only effective if somebody receives it. Having said it, it doesn't matter. Um, so I also do a monthly newsletter that go a monthly yeah, newsletter that goes directly to parents that covers different topics than what goes in that weekly student communication. I also keep an open calendar where parents can schedule a time to talk to me. Um, I have at least three to four days a week where I block out three-hour segments. They can sign up for 35-minute phone calls. I never know what they're going to want to talk about, but I feel like you know they can't walk into my office to have a conversation. So let's give them that opportunity so that they feel like I have an open-door policy and they can talk to me anytime. It really helps a lot because parents will come to me instead of posting things on Facebook or starting rumors. And so you don't want that when it's in your local community. And you certainly don't want that when you're running a school that students live across the U.S. So really having those multiple layers of communication that are available for folks. We also use an internal messaging platform, which is, we call it the hallway of our online school. Um, For us, we use Microsoft Teams. Slack does a similar thing. There's lots of different vendors that do it. It's It doesn't have to be that tool, but any student can message me at any point in time. I can message um, students at any point in time. They can message any classmate. They can message any teacher. We couldn't be the school that we are today if we didn't have that internal messaging platform where everybody can just connect in an instant. Um, So that's really important. And then we really try to look at new ways to do things. Um, You know, yeah, we're stuck in a pandemic and yeah, we're stuck. We're in an online school. But nothing's impossible. So we've had school dances. Um, we just had a speaker from the U.S. State Department come and present to students today. Friday, we have a school-wide escape game going on where you know the kids are going to be put into teams and do an escape room. Um, so really just saying, what are the possibilities and how can we continue to provide positive, reassuring 
experiences for students because school isn't just about, you know, A's and B's and math and science. So looking at the whole school and the whole situation and trying to make it work for students is really important. That's amazing. And do you feel like students are responding to that and parents are, they're receptive to those engagement opportunities? Oh yeah. It's the students that do the best are the ones that are most engaged. And and my favorite email that I've ever gotten is the you know, director of an online school was uh, an email from a parent after we had our first online dance, which we would have never had had it not been for COVID-19. Um, we just were like, well, we've got to find something to do to brighten these kids' spirits. And I knew a DJ that was out of work. And so we put two and two together. And it turns out online dances are actually so much better than in-person dances. Um, I've chaperoned them at the middle school and high school level. And with an online dance, I don't have to worry about who's touching who. I don't have to worry about who's putting what in the food. And honestly, if I don't like a song, I can just turn it down and keep dancing in my living room and nobody knows that I'm not even listening to whatever's on the music. So, um, but the best email I ever got was right after our first online dance and um, this family they had decorated their garage for their student, um, like a, a, you know, with the theme of the dance. And the parents sent me an email and said, I can't even begin. Our son just got home from the dance. And then in parentheses, it said, well, just walked in from the garage. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they said, I couldn't even begin to express how happy and joyful he is right now and what a difference this has made in our lives. And that's a family in North Carolina and I'm on the West Coast. So, you know, just mm-hmm. to know that you're making that kind of a difference in a, in a child's life 3,000 miles away is pretty pretty special. I love the creativity. That's amazing. I love that. And so are you seeing any organizations or school districts that are really excelling despite all the challenges right now? And if so, what are they doing differently that's really helping them? Um, Yeah. Yeah. And not to sound cliched, uh, since this is a podcast on communication, but the one thing that the folks that are doing well are doing better than others is they're communicating well. Everybody just wants to know what's happening. There's so much change. There's so much influx. Um, but the folks that are, are, you know, making the most of this are taking the time to listen to how families are being impacted. I had to tell a group of parents no this week. They came to me with an idea that they really wanted and the answer would be no. Um, but I took the time to explain the reasoning for my decision rather than just saying no. I didn't have to tell them why the answer was no. It was my decision to make. Um, but really taking that time to express myself clearly and compassionately in writing helped them to know that they were heard um, and that you know, that they felt heard and understood. And I think on some level, particularly during the pandemic, when we all feel hopeless at some point in time, um, we just want to be heard. We just want people to to hear what we're saying and to listen to us. And so I think that that's what folks are doing well. Great advice. Yeah. And what are some of the silver linings you're seeing even amidst all these struggles? Do you think we're going to come out of this better and stronger in the end? Uh, I've been a digital learning fan for a while now, and I hope that one of the silver linings is wider acceptance of online and digital learning. Um, I hope that everyone involved in education in the education sphere is seeing that, yes, real meaningful relationships can be built online. Um, There's always been this stigma that online learning doesn't foster actual human interactions. And I think that people are starting to see that when online learning is done well, there is a human factor involved. Online learning doesn't mean less teachers or teacher time. It means more personalized experience that requires teachers who are excellent communicators in a variety of formats. My pie in the sky wish is that the U.S. would develop a national teaching certification. Certification. We've got shortages and surpluses of teachers in different states. We've seen that online teaching can work. So why can't a teacher in a state with a teaching surplus be employed in a state with a teacher shortage as an online teacher? 
The notion that zip code is the determining factor for a student's education in the U.S. has always frustrated me. And I hope that enough folks will get behind this idea and start to make education equitable across the U.S. And I think this pandemic shows that it can work. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think we're going to see some teachers leaving the profession we already have. So that's not that problem is not going to go away. So coming up with some solutions to address it, like virtual teaching and digital teaching and um, national standards for that, I think makes wonderful sense. I hope we can, I hope that happens with the new administration. So I agree with you. So this is a little bit of a um, segue, but I'm, I'm curious. So you've transitioned from working with the schools and districts and doing amazing work uh, as you started actually off as a teacher, if I'm correct. And then you've partnered with school districts. And since then you've been able to rise up as a leader within the education industry and building your credibility and establishing yourself as an expert. What's your advice for my listeners, many of whom are trying to really create thought leadership platforms for themselves and do the same? What's some of your advice for them? Yeah, I, I think the first thing that you have to do is to find your moral compass and stick to it. You know, being open to new ideas is great. Um, remembering that, you know, ed tech is about finding ways to engage students. Um, and if you're not principled, then flashy tech is not going to fix that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's also important um, that when you're trying out new things, when you're you're learning new experiences and you're trying to grow, don't be afraid to admit when something isn't working. If everything I did worked, then I wasn't trying hard enough. I wasn't trying enough new things. Um, so I think it's really important that we continue to push ourselves, but we also take the time to say, you know what? I thought that was a good idea at the time. It's not so much anymore. Um, and here's a new path that I want to go by. And I think as adults teaching students, we teach them a lesson that, you know, that's failing forward and that's important. Yeah. One of the expressions I've heard a lot of throughout this pandemic is staying flexible and nimble. And those are two of the keys that have been, uh, really helpful right now, but I think in general, those are, are really good uh, practices to have. It's a great analogy because if you think about athletes, the ones that are, you know, super successful in no matter what sport, they're flexible and nimble. That's a great analogy. Yeah. And not only that, um, not being afraid to take action. And if something isn't working, shift gears, it, but, but try something and then see if it works and then sh- don't, don't be afraid to try new things. So I love both of those con- concepts. That's great. And then what would you say are your top three suggestions for standing out in a noisy, crowded space like educations? How did you find your way and really build that that niche for yourself? Yeah. So the first one's advice I learned from Paul Harvey when I was a kid. Um, and basically it's, you know, act like your grandma is watching. If what you're doing or saying isn't something you'd be proud for grandma to witness, stop it. In this tech-rich world that we're we're constantly being watched and it just takes one viral moment to cause a lasting stain. So if you want to stand out, you know, only do things that it's okay for grandma to see. Second, be true to yourself. Uh, so you mentioned that I started in teaching. I actually, teaching is my second career. I started out in business and my undergraduate degree is in uh, bachelor's in business administration. And when I was in business school, I spent a lot of time learning how to act professionally. Uh, and back then, it really, it just meant fitting in, uh, looking like everybody else, making sure I was wearing the right colored suit, that my hair was pulled back. And I think that's a really old school approach to professionalism. Of course, in my age, my business school career was a really long time ago, so it was probably relevant at the time. But I think today, it's really important that we can lead with personality. Be true to yourself and people will really relate to you. And then lastly, I think um, remembering that connecting with others isn't always about you. Make sure that the people you interact with walk away from you feeling like they're valued. 
this can happen whether we agree or disagree with each other. It's okay to disagree, but it's not okay not to listen. Oh, those are great. I love I love the first one about make sure your grandma would like to see what you're doing. That's wonderful. And I'll totally agree with all the other ones too. Kind of reminds me of that expression, people don't remember what you said, they just remember how you made them feel. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, and I take I I deplore the act of handwriting. I just find it it's laborious, painful. I don't like to write things. Um, I love, t- you know, I remember things better if I write them, but I almost type everything out that I do. But I do every week send two cards to people that I've interacted with that week just to say, hey, thanks. It was a great interaction I have with you. I really appreciate what, you know, you brought to the table. Um, because I read an article long after Princess Diana had passed away and people said that she always wrote cards and it was, you know, to say thank you for that time and they, how much it meant to them that she would take the time to write that card. So I send two cards out every single week and just tell folks, hey, that was a great interaction. And it's just part of making people feel valued. Um, And it just, it takes 10 minutes. Wow. That's inspiring. And I always think I need to send thank you notes, uh, but (laughs) it's in the back of my mind, but I, you know, it's easy to just write it off. That's a very good reminder that it really does make a difference. And fun fact, the U.S. Postal Service is currently selling stamps that say thank you on them. So now you can have thank you stamps for your thank you card. So perfect. Win-win. Love it. Okay. And then if you could tell your younger self, Stacy, one tip about succeeding as an ed tech thought leader today, what would it be? Yeah. So the one thing I wish I knew when I was younger is don't take things personally. I have a husband who loves me and three amazing adult kids. All of that's personal. Everything else is just small in comparison. If I'd have known that a lot younger, I would have avoided a lot of stress um, on the way through this life. But I'm glad I know it now. I know. At least we know it now, right? I mean, it takes a long time, but once you know it, you know it. So is there anything else about the work you're doing and any advice just in general to just get through this. And I feel like it's going to be the next few months and then we'll be back in a little bit of a better position. Yeah, I would, I would really encourage folks to look for what's worked out of this pandemic. Like, you know, we've had to endure quite a bit over the last nine months and it'll probably be at least a year before we're through the whole thing. Um, And to give up a year of your life and not take something positive away from it is pretty sad. So um, I would never go back and do a pandemic again. I'm not volunteering for this, but I think if we can step back and say, okay, where, where did I learn about myself? What did I learn about my students? What did I learn about, you know, my sphere of influence and how can I take that piece out of this and make it a little bit better? I think so many times people are so busy looking for tools to solve problems. And I think this has shown us that people are, you know, tools are an instrument. Tech is an instrument to help us solve the problem, but it's really the people that matter in the equation. I'd like to see, you know, people use the interactive pieces of online learning, you know, Zoom video conferencing, Google Meets, whatever brand you want to pick up to really take the time to build relationships with students and build relationships with each other and listen to each other and not just rely on, you know, a a form, uh, you know, to answer it because we don't all fit into three little check boxes or things like that. But I just think everybody should be able to look back and say, here's something that I can use from this experience that's going to improve my life and the lives of the people that I impact every day. Um, otherwise, we just we just ran a marathon for nothing and we're no better off for it. So, Oh, good advice. Well, that is fantastic. I think you've given us some really inspirational ideas and I love your positivity and your attitude about how we can get through this together. Stacey, this is 
fantastic. Thanks. Where can my, yeah. And where can my audience find out more about you? Uh, the easiest way is on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Stacy Haw, S-T-A-C-Y-H-A-W. Um, not because I, I really do like the last name Hawthorne. I think it's kind of cool, but it's also a lot of characters. Uh, so Stacy Haw on Twitter. Um, and then I'm the director of online programs for the Davidson Academy in Reno, Nevada. And you can just Google that up. And I'm actually the first thing that comes up when you Google my name too, which is another reason to make sure everything I do is something grandma wants to see. So. Exactly. Very good point for sure. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think it's going to be sure a wild ride over the next few months as we hopefully find our way out of this pandemic. But I love focusing on the silver linings that you shared with us today. I know our listeners are going to appreciate your candid advice and insight. It was a delight chatting with you and I would love to have you back on the show soon. Great. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. And don't forget to grab my free guide to creating a killer case study. Even if you don't have data, we walk you through how to do that. Again, that's available at casestudy.swpr-group.com, casestudy.swpr-group.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and write us a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform you choose to listen to. We will be back with another episode of Build Momentum next week. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great one. Bye.